0: win stacks of cash by entering the 150k crack the code giveaway Dive into the thriving local arts, entertainment, and food scene with coasting editor Jerry Boggs and his guests. Let us be your guide to the creative South Coast.
1: Welcome everyone back to another Coast in the Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We've got another special guest with us today. We've got Armand Marchand from New Bedford Festival Theatre. Armand, thank you for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure
0: completely. Um,
1: Let's... We'll talk a little bit about uh, a lot of things today. Yes, Um, we'll talk a little bit about it. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Talk talk a lot about kind of your background, but uh, before we get to that, I want to talk about Mamma Mia. Um, Of course, we're we're getting closer. Uh, Yes, what is it about? A month away now?
0: Just about a month away.
1: So, how are things going? How? uh,
0: Well, as in the production of all musicals, it's a completely different brain set when you produce a play. Musicals are an exercise in traffic control. Uh, Musicals are an endless number of logistical problems. Um, And it's very interesting. We have a cast of 24 people, the majority of whom are coming from New York. They are New York-trained actors, singers, dancers. And we also have our director coming from New York. Her name is Jennifer Swidorsky. Jennifer is definitely a Mamma Mia pro and a Mamma Mia veteran. She was in the Broadway cast when it first came to the Winter Garden Theater in New York, and she has directed it in regional theater, and she has toured with it on the national tours. So she is amazing. Also amazing to add to the very top of the cast We have Betsy Padamonsky, and Betsy is also a veteran of Mamma Mia. She did, here we go, I I almost envy her. She did the Farewell Mamma Mia tour, and this was three years ago. She crisscrossed the nation for two solid years and played the leading lady in the show she was the lead. And she assured me that she thinks she's hit every (laughs) major city in the United States, and even some that you haven't even heard of. But she considered the major cities because they they all had theaters Mm -hmm. that could accommodate that big show. Yeah. So yeah.
1: And this is a significant show for you. Is it it's what a significant show for you in your career.
0: It's uh. exceedingly significant because this is my final show. Um, I've a- done as executive producer. As executive producer, yes. I starting August first. I will be executive director. But that's an opposite side of the brain. It's more about shaking the trees, uh, <laughs> the money trees, and um, doing other kinds of work attached to it, development.
1: Is it bittersweet at all? How is the, your emotions?
0: Um, yes, it is if you look it's anything where you're looking back. Would I want to repeat all of the thirty years? No 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 uh, it's I had a teaching career for thirty five years, and I want to assure everybody out there that I'm not one hundred and ten years old. They were not sequential. there was twelve years where both careers are on running on parallel tracks so but I am really delighted that Mamma Mia is my final show, because I think uh, you should always do something really celebratory, and this is going to be exactly that. It's like a great big party, and everybody is invited. If you like the music of ABBA, uh, which most people do, um, it, it lends itself to a party atmosphere. Excellent. So, with this kind of being your
1: last season in your current role, let's let's go back in time a little bit and talk about kind of how, you know, this career that that you know your your 112 year career. Uh, how did where, where did the seeds come from? Where where did this all stem from?
0: It's very interesting. I do a, a a the realistic and then the the probably the more interesting take on it. The first one is I was. Born in Fall River, my parents moved us immediately to Westport. I was raised in the town of Westport. I went to Westport schools, and then I went on from high school to Bridgewater State, where I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in um, English. I was an English major with a speech in drama minor, and then I ended up getting a master's degree from Bridgewater as well. But what I like to frame it as, because I've had a career in show business, <clears throat> I went to MGM Elementary School, American Bandstand High School, and the University of Broadway. Mm. And how I categorize all of that is quite simple. As a child, I would be taken to the big movie theater in Fall River. It was gigantic, like 2,500 seats and a mezzanine and a theater organ. And Kids grew up in that t- I was only a little tiny kid. And... I was in amazement. I saw, okay, Annie Get Your Gun was the first one, Howard Keel and Betty Hutton, and then in quick succession, all the MGM musicals. It was an MGM house. They showed all MGM movies. So I also saw An American in Paris, and I saw Singing in the Rain and Showboat, and all of them were great. I saw a lot more other than that, but to see them on a huge screen and uh, in color with those stars, Gene Kelly, um, all the people you could name, I already said Howard Keel and Betty Hutton, uh, it really, really influenced me because... I thought, I was always, when I left the theater after seeing a movie like that, I was always disappointed with reality (laughs) when I went out to the street and I said, oh, you're in Fall River. So, uh, and, and I knew, but it was a fantasy that was soon to become a reality. Um, Now, the other thing with American Bandstand High School, Dick Clark was the leader of the American Bandstand, and I loved rock and roll music. I grew up on rock and roll music. I've seen all of the greats. And so it's very interesting because today, and I know we're going to be talking about this a little bit later today, all of these musicals coming to Broadway, a lot of them anyway, are jukebox musicals. Mm. So you're getting a chance to see Frankie and, v- and Valley in the Four Seasons in Jersey Boys, which is a great, great show. And I know we have that plan. I say we, but Wendy will be producing it when we get the rights. Uh, but those kinds of musicals tapped into my American bandstand years. And it's no mistake in... Um, telling you that I've already produced Grease, and I've already produced Hairspray, and all those shows are very much of that era. So that was great. And then, of course, the last thing in my trilogy of experience of factors that really influenced me is the University of Broadway. I started going to uh, Broadway shows when I was in college. I was not one of those kids today who at the age of eight is brought to see Wicked and gets to sit in $250 seats. We, my family did not have the wherewithal to take us to New York at that point. So it was, that's kind of like an arc of experiences I've had uh, that led me to loving the theater so it went from movies to rock music to theater, um, but we are lucky if we can do that kind of a trajectory, don't you think?
1: Yeah, it's you know it's fun because you know watching a movie today, you know you got a big TV in your house, it's HD, all those things. But what you're describing is an event, you know, going to the movie, you know the. The big movie house, it doesn't seem like an event the way it
0: was. Well, it's a strange thing, though, when you kind of surrender to the the whole idea of the movie. Um, We were at the movies just this past Saturday, and we went to see Rocket Man, Mm -hmm. and of course, there you go, (laughs) it's Elton John. and. I was thrilled to pieces. And the the, the actual movie theater is very, very elegant. It's not huge like we used to have, but it's a very elegant theater. And they have those very comfortable red leather... Chairs that tilt all the way back. I don't quite go <laughs> 180. <laughs> I like to stay awake during the film. Yeah. But I can tell you, that's my most recent movie that I saw, and I loved it. Also saw Bohemian Rhapsody, and mm-hmm. of course, that's Freddie, Freddie Mercury. So, y- yeah, and, and they say that Rocket Man is coming to Broadway as a musical.
1: Oh, that's great. And it
0: really, really has all the components. Mm. Uh, what a great musical would be. Um, there was a similar one on Broadway about 15 years ago, and that show was called The Boy From Oz, and it was the life of Peter, um, oh, what was his name, Peter? Hugh Jackman played the role on stage. I'm trying to think of his last name. I can't think Lynn. of it. Which one? Lynn? No. no. Anyway, I'll come up with it as yeah. we're talking.
1: Wendy's Googling now in the background, so we're Peter doing Allen.
0: Peter Allen, okay. Yes. He was a very famous performer in the 80s, and he died. So, uh, yeah, but this this was uh, an amazing thing.
1: So, so you know, years in, in kind of the business, you still can get swept away by the story and the magic of of, you know, being in the moment, being in the show, Always. Watching I, it. In, I am
0: in, really good audience. <laughs> I, when I go to an event or uh, if it's a live show or if, if it's a movie, I enjoy it just as much. So, and uh, I enjoy the idea, too, in a the movie theater today, and I know most of us can appreciate this, is nobody can bother me for the time <laughs> I'm in the movie theater. I, I leave my cell phone in the car. Uh, I just unplug completely so it's a great experience. If
1: you're watching a play, do you are you able to turn off the producer and or do you critique things and like watch the lighting cues? Is it hard okay. to... Okay, what's
0: funny with that, I will tell you, it's very, very interesting. If I'm going to a musical I've already seen, and this is a revival of a musical, I'll give you an example, the recent revival of My Fair Lady. Well, I saw all the way back in time the original production. So... Um, it's really interesting. I had a mental clipboard. Uh, the, my mental clipboard. I was checking off all the things I didn't think went well, <laughs> and uh, and it was a spectacular p- uh, production. It was at Lincoln Center. So, but um, yes, yeah, it's, it's bound to close just shortly because they've run their full run. It's about a year and a half run. Uh, but when I'm going to a new show, it really is producer work because I'm thinking, would this be Uh, a possibility for production. I'm looking at all the aspects. How large is the scenery? Would we be able to (laughs) duplicate this? How large is the cast? Um, The storyline, will it appeal to a new Bedford area audience? All of that goes into the mix. So uh, many times, one night it was very strange. I went to see a play called, this is a really offbeat play. It was called A Behanding in Spokane. And it starred Christopher. um, Christopher. I'm pulling another name down. Christopher Wild and Crazy Man. Walken.
1: Walken? Walken.
0: Walken, Christopher Walken was the star of the show. And I'm a big Christopher Walken fan, even though I couldn't pull his name up in (laughs) two seconds. Um, From the time that he won the Oscar for uh, one of the first movies he was in, giving a brilliant performance. So he has this amazing way of performing live and so I'm sitting down pre-show and um, there's a man sitting next to me with a lady and um, he, we strike up a conversation and we both agree that Christopher Walken is the boss when it comes to really doing this kind of thing and, I, and um, so I said something to him. He, he said, well, I, I don't go to see musicals. And then he went one step further, and he said, I hate musicals. And I'm just going, hmm. <laughs> and then I said, oh, by the way, what do you do for a living? And he's telling me what he did. And then he says, what do you do? I said, I produce musicals. <laughs> I said, I'm okay. Tonight I'm here really relaxing. Mm. I'm not working.
1: That's fun. So, so you, you were an English major. Did you have a plan? What was your plan going into college
0: of how to put this English major to use? Well, I was a speech and drama minor. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I did. I, I was on stage in college. I was part of the, like you said, you were. Um, and it was something I really liked doing. I was still kind of freewheeling. I loved writing. The writing part of it for me was a big deal. I had a professor who was a Ph.D. from Columbia And he was my professor for advanced uh, journalism, for creative writing, Um, magnificent, a magnificent professor. So I was really, a really great teacher can mold all of your plans. I really was thinking of wanting to be a newspaper reporter. (laughs) But it was at the time that the Vietnam War was raging, and something came in to my apartment at college. And it was a directive right before I was due to graduate. And it simply said, what are your immediate plans following graduation? And in that time period, if you were going into teaching, you were exempt from the draft. So I signed a contract to teach in the city of New Bedford. Wow. I had two other contracts that were offered to me. One was Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles County. And the other one was Brentwood Long Island. And believe it or not, neither one of them was paying enough money Mm. to justify my uprooting myself from this area and moving away. So that's how I ended up staying here. And it's interesting how it all goes. And I don't have any regrets having taught because I got to teach. I was in a large English department at New Bedford High. There were 36 English teachers. Wow. That's an army, a small army. And I got to teach... Introduction to film, I got to teach music theater, uh, also um, play production, uh, a lot of different creative courses. So I was fortunate, and you're going to hear that as an ongoing theme. I was extremely fortunate.
1: And I know we've, we've mentioned Wendy a couple times at Wendy Hall is the incoming executive producer for Festival Theater. Yes. And you were a student, I believe, of Armand, so you, you did, uh, you, you got to, uh, you know, you talked about your teachers kind of lighting the fire for you at Bridgewater well, State. So you got to pass that along a little bit, which
0: is a nice Well, gift. yes, yes. And the thing that I'm going to say it was very interesting because I didn't have her in class. <laughs> I had her in the drama company, mm-hmm. which works out really well because that's the, the quick route to establishing a relationship with a kid because there you're a family. There is no getting around, and that's what you do. And you're much more casual uh, because you're rehearsing long hours and you bond much quicker. It's a little bit more formal in a classroom, even in an informal course. It's, it's kind of yeah. like a two-by-four experience with the classroom and the walls of a classroom kind of holding you together and making sure you don't get too crazy. So, uh, yeah. But with the drama company, it's a family
1: so you're working with the student actors and you're doing the productions at New Bedford. Where, when did the idea for Festival Theatre, where did that come from? Where, where did that be, be born?
0: Okay. Very, very interestingly, everything, I, I always believe that if you for, force something that it's never going to really work. And for me, each thing that came up, came up by happenstance. And as I said, I was thinking of becoming a reporter for a newspaper. And I also had other cities where I could have taken a contract to teach. And then the ravages of the war going on in Vietnam kind of dictated where I was going to go next. And so I took the teaching job. Now, as far as the theater and the Zaiterian Performing Arts Theater... Um, I was very fortunate in that regard because there was a man who was then on the board of the Z. It was the first full season of the Zytarian the 1982-83 season. Um, his name was Attorney Thomas Buca, he has passed on. And um, he came to see a production we were doing at New Bedford High of Jesus Christ Superstar, and it was spectacular, and um, We had a magnificent cast. We waited until we had the right cast and people who could sing a rock opera. And we had our Jesus and our Judas and our Mary Magdalene were all top rate. But Tom Buchar comes to see the show. And um, at the intermission, he said, it is the wish and desire of the Zeiturian in our early days right now, that we are planning to not only bring in the best from the road, but we would like to also showcase area talent on the stage of the Z. And he said, that's where you guys can come in. He was talking to George and myself, and um, he said, I would like to bring this production to the Z this summer, summer of 1983. So this summer is, believe it or not, my 37th summer (laughs) at the theater. It didn't end. We just stayed. Um, So that was 1983. And then we were asked to come back each of the succeeding summers, and those were Zyterian summer musicals. Now, how did festival theater come to be? Very interestingly, again, Forces outside of our own thought process, our own ability to make things happen, took root. And what it was is the board of the Zaiterian in 1989 decided that they were no longer going to continue producing shows in the summer. And we had already committed verbally to a verbal contract, if not a printed contract, not only George and I, to co-direct three shows for the summer of 1990, but many of our staff had also committed verbally. The uh, outgoing executive producer, okay, had asked us to commit to the following summer and said he would do all of the contracts in January. There was about six or seven of us, a music director a choreographer, a lighting designer. So anyway, long to short, the Z decided not to pursue that the following summer in 1990. And um, it was interesting because the then producer, executive producer, was Robert Friedman, um, a magnificent man. And at that point in time, after working there for six years, he decided he was also leaving So we didn't know what to do. And um, a very good friend and an attorney here in the city, um, George Leontire, uh, advised us to form our own organization and to present it, present the shows and present the idea to the Z that we would be there in the summer. So that's how New Bedford Festival Theatre came to be. And when we were having the initial meetings, it was very interesting because at one point, I had only been doing directing. I had not done any kind of producing. and um, But I have to say, Robert... Friedman pressed me into action a lot in the six years that he was at the theater saying, well, you got to do this. I want you to come with me because we have to handle that. So I didn't realize I was being trained. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's amazing. All of these things. And so we're at a meeting and I say point blank. Well, now that we've decided that we're going to be an organization, we have to find somebody. There was about eight people in the room. We have to find somebody who can be the executive producer. And I'm sitting there, and they all turn around. And they said, well, you're going to be the producer, of course. And I, my first instinct was I wanted to walk out of that room, get into my car, and keep driving till I ran out of gas. I did not. Here's the thing I have always said about being the producer. I never in my life thought about being a producer. I didn't. Maybe I was already thinking like one. I don't know. But I wasn't thinking of that. And uh, it was not something I was pursuing. And then, as I started to do it, I really enjoyed the big picture. Mm. Um, I was starting to find that I was feeling confined in the rehearsal hall. Particularly for summer shows. It gets a little warm in the rehearsal <laughs> halls and you're there from 10 in the morning until six in the evening. You get one hour, hour off for lunch. I was getting a little bit hemmed in by that. And so I enjoy these days going to um, our our air-conditioned office on the third floor of the Z on a hot day. <laughs> it's, uh, I may have to settle some awful problems, but it's nice and cool. So it's an interesting thing how you get from one stage of a career to the, the it next. It really is, yeah. Yeah. And yeah.
1: then, you know, it's interesting to me because I, I would think – Okay, the, being a producer doesn't scratch the creative itch the same way that directing would. But um, it seems like you get kind of uh, fed in a, in a different way, kind of that, that creative. Well, there's part so of
0: you. many different things that are creative that people don't realize, and it's creative thinking. Um, it's, and, and producers do have a say as to what the show is going to look like. And you have to remember one thing that a lot of people don't understand this. I always say, if you know the term show business, the director is in charge of the show and the producer's in charge of the business, but the producer's also in charge of the business of show. Mm. So that's very interesting because there is a control factor there um, that you want that show, to represent the organization. Mm -hmm. And you know, you have to know your audience. A director coming in, this gal is coming in, she grew up in Virginia, the one that's... She doesn't know a a new Bedford audience. Yeah. She doesn't. So, um, and, you know, I've been telling her, she's been here for a local audition that we had back in February. But um, the, the producer brings in an awful lot to bear on the first of all you hire every single person including the director and the entire cast and the creative staff and at this point i'm going to i'm going to say i've been very very fortunate again blessed blessed i've had excellent directors over the years i've had excellent creative ca- staffs wonderful design staffs and virtually every one of our design and creative and tech staffs are all returning for this, my final production as producer. And I'm hoping for Wendy's sake that she will get the same people to return. Um, they seem to be coming back. And this is a big deal. I'm going to tell you why, because we only offer them four weeks' work. But there's a very strange thing in the theater business. July, Seems to be the month of transition. Mm. Most theater seasons, including Broadway, some shows are only on for the season. They're going to close at some point in June. National tours of shows close in June. I've got a gal coming from the Kinky Boots tour, and she's going to be in our production of Mamma Mia. uh, And her tour just ended the season. So it's an interesting thing. I think that's one of the uh, influences that helps us to get the same people back yeah. again and again because they know they can depend you have on a window, that. Yeah. So no unemployment in yeah. July, <laughs> and it's in New Bedford. It's cooler than Boston or New York. Not much cooler, but cooler. <laughs> I always remind them of that. So yeah. So over thirty years, what's you know? I'm
1: sure you've seen some some sizable changes in you know. All of the things from the from the casting to the nuts and bolts of presenting the show. What what are some of the the big changes you've seen over the years?
0: Uh, well, it's it's interesting because we're a regional theater. A lot of people, because we have New Bedford in the name, uh, don't understand we're regional. We're very similar to uh, the Agunquit Beach Theater up in Agawam Beach, Maine. We're very similar to the North Shore Music Theater, and that's the famous. Uh, producer, Bill Haney, who was really, he's kind of my inspiration. He does, he is so uh, courageous when it comes to producing and nothing seems to faze him at all. And I kind of like that style. Um, but anyway, uh, a lot has happened in the years since I first began producing and that was 1990 the first show we did was bacajo fall and that was we had just gotten it it had just closed off broad uh, it was on broadway and um yeah it was a big hit for us and then i knew i could go further with producing i wasn't sure i uh, the first time you produce a show it's you're flying by the seat of your pants. Mm. It's as simple as that. And uh, just the insurances. <laughs> um, attorney George Leontier said to me, well, you know you've got to get, everybody has to be covered with insurance. And so he was, he was a godsend because what he did was he hooked me up with his insurance expert and we had a, a phone conference with our insurance agency and we, ha- we put it all together in like a three-hour Conversation. It wasn't quite that long, maybe an hour and a half. Uh, it seemed like three hours <laughs> to me because I wasn't an insurance expert. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's all those things. But even those things were very rooted into it then in 1990. I think one of the things that's changed is that the road tour companies have now monopolize a good portion of the business. It is very, very difficult and challenging for us to get a show's rights. Mm. To get the rights to, like for Mamma Mia, I had to wait for three or four years. And um, it's always something, and it's always subject to them pulling the carpet out from under you. In 2004, we did Disney's Beauty and the Beast, We were doing that show while it was still running on Broadway. That is unheard of. And we did gain the rights. Today, you will simply not get the rights if it's Hmm. running on Broadway. There's no way. And uh, it was funny. The following year, after Beauty and the Beast, I wanted to do Cats in 2006, and I had by his word, Charlie Skatamachia from Rogers and Hammerstein, interesting, Rogers and Hammerstein Music Library controlled the rights to cats. And Charlie was a good friend at that point. I saw him at conventions and stuff. And he said, oh, yeah, you can do that in 2006 until we're getting closer. And he said, I'm terribly sorry, but this was like 10 months before we were to do it. Which is considered close in this yeah. business. <laughs> um, so I said, very simply, I said, Well, why? He said, Well, I, he said, I have a demand for it and I have to go with it. So I said, Okay. Um, and I got off the phone and I looked at the gal working in the office and I looked at George and I said, We have to find two shows that can replace one show because it's going to be. And the two shows I chose literally called up New York, asked if they were available, made that decision within one hour of being denied. The two shows were Cats, not Cats, that was the one I couldn't get. The two shows were Cabaret and Oliver. Mm. So, and we did well with that. good. We did. It was a lot juggling two shows, but we did very, very well with it. So that's one of the things today. You don't get a show when it's still on Broadway. The other thing is the tours run for years. Mm -hmm. Um, The original tour of Phantom of the Opera ran for 17 years, and now Phantom of the Opera is on its second national tour, which has been running for seven years, and it's due to close. So... Nobody has gained the rights for Phantom of the Opera yet, and it's been hmm. running for 30, 30 years. Yeah, that's thirty-two years.
1: Kind of behind-the-scenes detail that you don't think about. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, that's a challenge for sure.
0: And then we're getting more and more what I would call the the shows that they're all today. Um, There are definitely jukebox shows. There's so many jukebox shows. The Cher Show, uh, The Summer Show, Donna Summer. Uh, Tina Turner's coming up for her, turn at Bat. Uh, There's always one. And right now, The Temptations have uh, the show Ain't Too Proud. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it's Broadway actors playing them. They're they're all elderly men at this point. But they still tour doing their act, The Temptations. I remember them from when I was in high school a long time ago.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> what are some of the, you know, 30 years, I'm sure there's countless moments of, you know, panic <laughs> and also some, some really big highs. What are some of the highs that you experienced over the 30 years? What sticks out in your memory of, like, I'll never forget that night or that day?
0: There, there are so many of them, and all of them are attached to the show itself. I really, really think that's a huge part of it for a producer. Opening night is um uh, fraught with nerves because everything rides on opening night. But uh, the opening night of La Cage aux Fals, my very first show, um, I described it to somebody that it was better than my birthday, Christmas, and the 4th <laughs> of July all rolled into one. It was, you know, you're wearing formal clothes. I was wearing a white dinner jacket and... Um, it, it was just one thing after the other, and we actually had the party right in the lobby of the theater after the show. Um, it wasn't... Today we have it across the street from um, the Z at the um, UMD CVPA, the Star Store Campus. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and it's a much bigger party today. That party would probably had 75 to 100 people, but today it's like 200, 225. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was exciting, and um, yeah, and the other thing that lent to that, I ended up obtaining um, the sets and costumes, the original sets and costumes from the Broadway show. And so the look of the show somebody said, "This looks like the Broadway show." I said, "Well, it virtually yeah. is All the costumes, 60 human hair wigs in the show. <laughs> everything, everything. It was like this amazing here we are." Um, and that duplicate duplicates itself many times mm-hmm. over as the years go by. I mean, there's always a show where something's very, very exciting in terms of the look of the show. Um, the producers was the same thing. All the sets and costumes from the Broadway production. And, um, but on those, this is what has changed. Today, if you're using costumes by a designer, scenery by a designer... There you have to pay their royalty. This was not true in nineteen ninety. Hmm. Yes, I am paying <laughs> designers for this show. <laughs> but I was lucky with the producers. I have two famous Broadway designers that I was using their work and fabulous. Hmm. Scenery, fabulous, costumes. It was it's an amazing thing. It puts the cast right into that mood.
1: You've talked about the you know the jukebox shows and kind of the popularity of the the, the real you know music heavy shows, um, and even back to like Rock of Ages was a was a big hit you know things like that. What do you see? Do you think that's going to continue? What's what's going to be the future? What are we going to see
0: over the next 30 all right years? Yeah, what, what I'm going to say, and I really believe this, having been around long enough, I've seen various trends, and one of them was. With the advent of Cats which was funny 1982 was the year that Cats came to Broadway they began to call that the British invasion just like in rock music when the Beatles landed in America in 1964 that changed the music industry well when Cats appeared on Broadway in 1982 to begin its long run that changed the face of the theater in that time period because in quick succession, you had shows coming in from London that had been put up, directed, choreographed, and simply becoming the shows that everybody wanted to see. So it was Cats, it was Les Miserables, it was Phantom of the Opera. On and on it went Miss Saigon, all of these different shows. And they're all still running, at least on the road. Cats and Miss Saigon are on the road right now. They finished...
1: Saw them both at the PPAC. I saw them both at the PPAC in the last year, I think. Yeah, yeah.
0: PAC had uh, Saigon in uh, September. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's in Boston right now for the month of June. So they're on the road, and they're making millions of dollars. (laughs) And it's funny because both of those shows had a Broadway revival. Mm -hmm. Cats was on maybe two years in the revival, but ran for something like, I don't know, something like 12 years. Um, And so it's an amazing business. But that's the British. And today, the wave is jukebox. The queen of all the jukebox musicals is indeed Mamma Mia. And the granddaddy of all the male jukebox Uh, musicals. is definitely Jersey Boys. You can't get the rights right now. It's on the road. It's appearing everywhere.
1: So, you know, there's kind of, you know, a lot has been written about the music business and, I mean, the uh, movie business about, you know, blockbusters and Marvel movies and whether or not these, you know, big budget tentpole movies harms smaller creative uh, movies. Is there any concern on the you know in theater the same way that kind of this rush to these jukebox movies that maybe or jukebox musicals that maybe don't have a lot of
0: plot? They are don't. And they're, they're, all of them they're very, very similar to the uh, the jukebox not jukebox but biopic mm-hmm. based on a rock star or something. Uh, it's the same thing. You're going to. He was a kid, or she was a kid, and then they grew up, and then they became famous, and now they're conflicted. So, but you know, the thing is, that's interesting because there's a reason for cliches, yeah, is that they're true, yeah, and that's how people go through life. And they're so
1: bankable, you know, you've got to build an audience. People who are fans of the music are going to be fans of the musical, so yeah,
0: and it's a strange kind of thing because, um, for instance, Barbara Streisand, who really has only been in two Broadway shows in her life. I can get it for you wholesale, and very few people saw that. Then she was a star of Funny Girl, and she went straight to the moon, Um, and then it became a movie, which was very popular in its time period. But uh, it's funny how all of that goes. Like, seeing Rocket Man, and I said to you, that's supposed to be on Broadway within the next year or two? They're turning that into a musical because... It just has such a great story yeah. and great music. So, But what I would say to you, you were saying, does it make it difficult for other types of music? Let's use just musicals. Um, the one that won the Tony this year was *Hades Town*, based on Orpheus and the Underworld. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoever thought, <laughs> I am still a Doubting Thomas at this point, thinking I don't even know if I want to buy a ticket. I've seen... Portions of it, but for some reason it caught on, mm. and that's probably for me the reason why I really like the theater is that just when you think you're going to have a dozen jukebox musicals in a row hitting the top of the popularity scale, all of a sudden comes something like Hadestown, Town, and by the way, in between we always get the um, the Broadway shows based On a movie. So we have this year Tootsie. Mm. And they say it's intensely funnier than the movie with Dustin Hoffman. I don't know. We will see. I I will be going to see that. Also, uh, last season they had Pretty Woman. Um, The one thing with uh, Broadway shows that are based on a movie is that sometimes it doesn't translate well. Mm -hmm. And... Pretty Woman is pretty much going to be finished w- with its run of one year, mm-hmm. and then we'll go on. It'll go on the road. Yeah. They'll make extra money there. That's how they do it. So, um,
1: you know, let's you know, before we wrap up, I kind of want to talk about your new role a little bit is, is kind of, you know, I think is it is it, if, if I get this right, is it half fundraiser and half ambassador? Um, you know, it feels like it's kind of a job. you What was the first one? Fundraiser. And half ambassador, you know, you're kind of talking about shaking the trees a little bit. And I
0: have done, there is one thing that is supremely wonderful in life is when you feel you have finished what you wanted to do with the job that you did. Um, It's funny because my father always used to say, "Always, always be sure to read the handwriting on the wall. Well, in our office, we have all the enormous three foot by four foot posters, the glossy posters from all of our shows. And they're all autographed by those casts. And I have been reading the handwriting on the (laughs) wall. And it simply said to me, time to go. So yeah. And uh, it's strange. You have to to plan your own exit plan. Mm -hmm. Nobody else can do it for you. And that was part of my plan. Um, I actually said to the man who controls the rights at Music Theater International is the organization that controls a lot of musicals. And he is such a great friend and such a good guy. And I literally was begging him. I said, Matt, I said, I want to leave the position of executive producer and I have to do Mamma Mia as my final (laughs) show. I wanted it last year and he couldn't do it again. Another producer got rank over me because mm-hmm. he was going to have a larger production, more tickets sold. They get more money into New York for that. So anyway, long to short, here it was. But somebody thought I was going to be leaving at the end of last summer. And I said, I can't leave at the end of the mm. West Side Story. Two guys have been killed on stage during the process of that show. It's not a happy... People yeah. leave the theater feeling very dramatically moved right but it's not uh, the
1: celebration a that you're party on stage yeah, like
0: yeah. Mamma Mia so That's I'm great. very very happy with that and I did read the handwriting on the wall so in essence what you're saying about what I will be as executive director is exactly what it is um, and you know that I wish uh, I, I don't envy I, I literally do not envy Wendy having to deal with all of this I I <laughs> No, because I've been through it, so you know what it is. It was the same thing when I left teaching after thirty-five years. I felt I had done it.
1: Yeah, that's a great feeling, and and I can't imagine a better ambassador, uh, you know, to go around town and and uh, spread the word about festival theater than you. So right, and that's
0: only going to be for a period of two years. That's it. Well, our... and then um, I am sure that the organization will begin to morph into different ways of doing things and that's what it has to be. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing business but you at one point alluded to about the creative part of it. One of the parts that I love about it is promotion and this of course is one of the things we're doing here and uh, today and that, it's a very important part to talk about it um, to introduce people to what the theater is all about. It's surprising uh, in a city like New Bedford the number of people who have never been to the Z. It is, yeah. And I, I I, would say to all of them that this is such an important thing that they should be doing. They should look at the list of, they have a whole list of attractions they bring in, and um, there's something that they would like to see. They should go to the live performance experience. Yeah. You know, I know they sold out with One Night of Queen, but they were always selling out with that. They brought it back two or three times. And uh, it was no surprise after Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. that it went clean very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it's it's an enthralling evening to go to a live event.
1: And you all will be opening July 19th with Mamma Mia. We so We can't wait. And uh, thank you so much for coming in and, and uh, telling your story.
0: It has been my pleasure. Thank you, Armand.